We've been learning about King Yehoiachin, and that included, of course, what is called Galut Yehoiachin, the Babylonian exile, that got underway during the reign of Yehoiachin, where we saw the top-ranking Jewish leadership getting banished from Judea to Babylon, and Yehoiachin himself was exiled. So that's the king of Judea getting banished from Judea and Jerusalem. That means somebody else has to replace him, and that somebody is going to be King Sitkiyahu. He's the final king of Judea, before the Chorban, before the destruction of the first temple. So let's pick it up where we left off in the text. We're towards the end of chapter 24, verse 17, and it goes like this. So the king of Babylon, he crowned Mataniyah, the uncle of Yoyechin, to replace him. So King Sitkiyahu originally was named Mataniyah. We'll see in this same verse, his name was changed. But he's the uncle of Yoyechin. Because his brother, the brother of Tzitkiyahu, was Yoyakim, who was the father of Yoyachin, and that makes him his uncle. Now, it could get kind of confusing, but, but it's easy to remember when you realize that out of the last four kings of Judea, three of them were sons of King Yoshiao, Yoachaz, Yoyakim, and Tzitkiyahu. And Yoyachin was the son of Yoyakim, and therefore, he's the son of the brother of Tzitkiyahu, Yoyakim, and that makes Tzitkiyahu. His uncle. And the same verse 17 tells us, And he changed his name to Tzitkiyahu. So Mataniah right away becomes Tzitkiyahu. We saw that before with Paro. Changed the name of Eliakim to Yoyakim. And now we have the king of Babylon changed the name of Mataniah to Tzitkiyahu. And the names are kind of similar in their significance because you have Mataniah from the word Matan to give. Hashem gave. And Sitkiyahu, Tzedakah, Tzedek, is also Yegiv Tzedakah. There's kind of a similarity there. And we'll see another reason why he was named Sitkiyahu in a minute. But what's important is, by having the king of Babylon, changing his name, it's like saying, I own you, and you better be loyal to me. But notice that while the king of Babylon changes his name and makes him his puppet, let's say, he's not going to nullify the Davidic dynasty. He does appoint as the next king instead of Yoyachin, he takes someone who's a son of Yoshiao, someone who is a natural heir to the throne from the Davidic dynasty. And so we know at least at the outset that Sitkiyahu was totally subservient and loyal to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's why when he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar in Chronicles, it says in Chronicles 2, chapter 36, verse 13, that Sitkiyahu rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear allegiance by God. So at one point, Sitkiyahu swore allegiance by God that he would not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the reasons that Nebuchadnezzar changed his name to Sitkiyahu, as it says in the Gomorrah in Mesechat Horayot, where does Sitkiyahu come from? Sitkiyahu, Hashem Yatzdik, which means Hashem will justify the judgment if you rebel against me. If you rebel against me, oy vavoy lecha, you're in big trouble. Hashem Yatzdik at the judgment. He will justify the judgment that you will receive if you dare rebel against me. But like we said, with all that, Nebuchadnezzar does not nullify the Davidic dynasty. He does choose a son of Yoshiao from the line of David. Verse 18, And Sitkiyahu was 21 years old when he became the king. And he reigned for 11 years in Jerusalem. So he begins his reign at the age of 21 and he rules for 11 years and that's not a short amount of time. And that's what I'm trying to say all along, that the exile didn't happen that quickly. A lot of stuff is going on in those 11 years of Sitiyahu. 
that the Tanakh doesn't mention, but we're talking a decade after the exile of Yoyachin, Machut Yehuda was still around. The verse continues, V'shemimo Chamutal bat Yermiyao belivna, and his mother's name was Chamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah from Livna. So if that sounds familiar to you, that's because you've been following these classes, she was the mother of Yoachaz. And Yoachaz was the first one to sit on the throne after the death of Yoshiao, his father. And now another son of hers, Sitiao, sits on the throne of Judea. And this woman, Chamutal, Bat Yermiao, she's a dominant figure in the Judean kingdom, what we call a Gvira, a queen mother. We saw back when we learned about King Yoachaz, how she probably influenced that appointment of Yoachaz over Yoachim. And here she is back again with another son of her, Sitkiao, sitting on the throne. But it's tragic because both her sons, Yoachaz and Sitkiao, as we're going to see soon, they suffer tragic endings. And in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 19, we'll see not only what a powerful woman she was, she's called a lioness by the prophet, but how she suffers the tragic loss of her sons, Yoachaz and Sitkiao. So let's look at that prophecy in Cheskel, chapter 19. And it's called the Lament of the Judean Princes. After all, Yoachaz and Sitkiao, they were sons of King Yoshiao. They were princes of Judea. And it goes like this. What a lioness was your mother among the lions. That is, we're talking about Chamutal. But Yermiao, the mother of Yoachaz and Sitkiao, she was a lioness among the lions. She lay down among them and reared her cubs. And she brought up one of her cubs and he became a strong lion. He learned to tear the prey he became a man-eater, but the nations heard about him, and he was trapped in their pit, and they led him with hooks to the land of Egypt. So that's what happened to Yoachaz, if you recall. Yoachaz ruled for three months until Paronacho banished him to Egypt, and he died there in prison. And now the next son, Sitkiao, he's going to step up. And it says like this, when she saw her hope unfulfilled, that is when she saw that Yoachaz was gone, her expectation gone, she took another of her cubs and made him a strong lion. And he prowled among the lions, for he was now a strong lion. He learned to tear the prey and he became a man-eater. He broke down their strongholds and devastated their towns. Now, this is important as we're describing Sitkiao through the prophecy in Yechezkel. You don't see in the Book of Kings anything about Sitkiao breaking down strongholds of the enemy. You don't see anything about him fighting the other nations, but that's because the narrative in the book of Kings is focused on the Horban of Judea. But in his 21 years of king of Judea, for sure, he was fighting the wars of the Jewish people, like all the Judean kings do. And we see this fighting side of Tzitkiyahu through the prophecy of Ezekiel. But the prophecy, again, is from the mother's point of view, the mother of these two kings who raised these children. Both of them became kings. Both were men of valor but they ended up falling to the hands of the enemy. And let's continue what it says about Sitkiao here. And he broke their strongholds and devastated their towns. The land and all who were in were terrified of his roaring. But then the nations came against him, those from regions round about, and they spread their net for him. And he was trapped in their pit. And with hooks, they pulled him into a cage and brought him to the king of Babylon. They put him in prison. So his roar was heard no longer on the mountains of Israel. So it's kind of sad and kind of tragic, again, from the mother's point of view, who raised these cubs, as it says, who raised these young men to become kings of Israel, to become men of valor, but they both suffered tragic endings, both Yoachaz and Sitkiyahu. And we see how fascinating it can be when learning the Book of Kings and bringing in other relevant parallel sources, either from Chronicles, in this case, we brought 
the book of Ezekiel chapter 19, to gain a totally different perspective of what's happening. The perspective here of the queen mother who raised these young men. Okay, verse 19, and now we have to get into what kind of king Sitkiah was. It says in verse 19, Vayasa Hashem, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, like all that Yoakim had done. That's all it says about him. He did evil. But Chronicles elaborates on what made Sitkiah evil. What did he do wrong? What's he guilty of? And it says like this, which means he did not humble himself before the prophet Yermiao. And it continues and says, he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. So that's bad. He swore to God he wouldn't rebel, and he broke that oath. Now, we'll see that under further inspection uh, of other sources, that Sitkiao, he's not so simple. Nothing is black and white, especially with King Sitkiao. He's a complex character. Let's look at what it says in Masechet Sanhedrin 103. According to Masechet Sanhedrin 103, Sitkiao was actually a huge tzaddik. It says like this, The Holy One, blessed be he, wanted to restore the entire world to chaos and void. Tovavo, like it was in the beginning of creation, on account of the generation of Sitkiao, because only the wicked remained after the exile of the righteous. That is after the exile of Yoyachin, when all those righteous Jews left Judea, there was no reason for the world anymore. Hashem wanted to restore the entire world to Tovavo, but he observed Sitkiao. That is, he noticed Sitkiao, and his mind was set at ease. And at that point, Hashem decided not to destroy the world. So the Gomorrah asks the question you're probably asking, but why does it say in the verse we just read, just now, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord? Why was God's mind set at ease about a Tzitkiyahu where it says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord? And the Gemara answers, Tzitkiyahu was not wicked. Rather, he had it in his power to rebuke the people of his generation and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, their sins are attributed to him. So we've seen that concept before. If you have it in your power to rebuke and you do not do so, then the sins are attributed to you. So that's the entire problem with Sitkiah. He was a tzaddik, but he didn't rebuke his generation. It's a lot different than what we thought. That's the sin we're talking about. Another source in Tractate Horayot, page 11, they bring a verse in Chronicles where it lists the sons of King Yoshiao. Right? He's got a bunch of sons. And one of the sons is named Shalom. And the sages taught us who is Shalom? That's Sitzkiyahu. And why is he called Shalom? It's due to the fact that he was perfect. He was Mushulam. Shalom comes from the root perfect, Mushlam. He was Mushlam in his actions. He was perfect in his actions. And some say he was called Shalom because the kingdom of the house of David was concluded during his days. So that's another reason his Shlima, that, that is, it came to an end during his days. But we see there, Sitzkiyahu, it's called Shalom because he was perfect. In any event, we still have to reconcile the Pshat in our verse with the Agadotas that we just read in the Talmud. Because a plain reading of the verse is that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, like Yehoiakim had done. I mean, the verse is pretty black and white. How does that jibe with the rabbinical literature where it says he was righteous? Okay, we saw the Agadot explanation that he could have stemmed the evil of his generation by rebuking them which of course will point to a character flaw in Sitkiyahu, that he wasn't forceful enough, he wasn't assertive enough. But back to a point, we still want to know why it says he was evil in scripture, while the sages in the rabbinical literature are telling us 
such good things about him? And the answer is how the Tanakh is written. When you read Bible, it doesn't read like regular prose or some good literature. When it says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, like Yoyakim had done, it doesn't mean he was evil like Yoyakim in every way. What the verse is referring to is that in one specific area, he was like Yoyakim in his evil. And what area was that? That he refused to subjugate himself to Babylon. That's the meaning of the verse when it says he was evil like Yoyakim. And we've seen this many times before in scripture where the Bible would say that some king was very evil and went in the ways of Yeravam ben Avat. But we saw it doesn't really mean he was bad as Yeravam ben Avat was, but that he maintained the status quo that Yeravam had established. And if the king of Israel didn't make the tikkun for what Yeravam did, which is take away those calves in Beit El and Dan and stop those blockades to the temple. Well, in the language of the Bible, such a king is considered that he went in the ways of Yeravam ben Avat. So Sitkiyahu was much more righteous than Yoyakim. But in one specific matter, which is critical, he was like Yoyakim, that he did not acquiesce to Babylon. You see, Jeremiah was warning these kings that they should accept the yoke of Babylon. It's written in a couple places in the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 25, verse 11, this entire land shall be a ruin and desolation, and the nations will serve the king of Babylonia for 70 years. And then upon the completion of 70 years, Hashem says he'll make an account of their sin for the king of Babylonia and for that nation. What does that mean? What policy did Yermiao urge these kings to take? Well, Jeremiah wanted Sitkiao and the kings before him to adopt the policy of what today would be called neutrality. Don't take any sides. Just don't take sides. Let the other nations duke it out. And you stay out of it. Remain a vassal of Babylonia. Stay away from all the controversy. Bite the bullet. And you'll be exiled for 70 years. That's what Yermiah was telling them to do. And then you'll come back after 70 years. But the kings of Judea, they weren't doing that. They were allying themselves to Egypt. They were trying to throw off the yoke of Babylon. And that's a rebellion, not only against Nebuchadnezzar, it's a rebellion against the prophet. Now let's read the last verse of the chapter, verse 20. Ki al-af Hashem Because the wrath of the Lord was against Jerusalem and Judea. Until he cast them away before his presence. And Sitkiyahu rebelled against the king of Babylon. So there we have it, not only in Chronicles, but here we have it in our text as well, that he rebelled against the king of Babylon. But if you look at verse 20 carefully, what I just read, it almost seems as if Sitkiyahu didn't have any choice but to rebel. That is, his free choice was blocked because of the decree against Judea, that Hashem wanted to wipe out Judea. I mean, that's what it says here. Because the wrath of God was upon Jerusalem and against Judea, Sitkiah rebelled. The verse is practically saying that Sitkiah rebelled against the king of Babylon because the wrath of God was upon Jerusalem, as if God hardened his heart like he did to Paro. And that's what both Rashi and the Redak say, that despite the warnings of the prophets, Sitkiah rebelled. And Rashi says, Natan HaKadosh Baruch Hu Limrodbo, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put it in his heart to rebel against the Vuchanetzer, in order to exile the Jews. And the Redak says about the same thing. The Redak says, that who put it in his heart to rebel against the king of Babylon, so the king of Babylon would have a reason to wipe everything out. And in Chronicles, it says it even clearer that God hardened his heart against repenting to Hashem. 
Now, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. At the end of the book of Shmuel Bet, the very end of the book, King David sins by doing a census. He wants to count all the Jews of his kingdom. And that's prohibited by the Torah. You're not allowed to count Jews. Then why did he do it? The verse opens up by telling us, and the anger of Hashem flared against Israel, and he enticed David to carry out this census. So Hashem wanted to punish the Jews for something else. In this case, he wanted to punish them for their failure to build the temple up to that point. And he needed a reason or an alibi to punish them. So he enticed David to count the Jews. And that's why it's written that way. And he enticed David to carry out the census. His seat of David. So it seems kind of similar that that's what's going on here with Sitkiao, as if his free choice is being blocked somehow. So getting back to the figure of King Sitkiao, we see a king who certainly isn't a bad person. He was born at the wrong time in the wrong era. If he was a king during any other era, he probably would have been a fine king. But nobody has a choice into what era they're born in. Now, compounding the difficulties for King Sitkiao is the fact that after Galut Yechin, the cupboards were bare. That is, he had no wise people to consult with. And a king always needs good advisors. But all the heavyweights of that generation, Mordechai, Daniel, Azariah, etc., like we learned at Aleshua, they've been banished to Babylon. So Sitkiao, he's going at it alone. And, you know, like any good quarterback of a team, he needs good weapons. If you don't have good weapons, no blocking, no receivers, no running game, I don't care how talented you are, you're doomed to fail. But we'll see going forward that Sitkiao had his flaws too. He lacked the leadership qualities that are necessary to lead Judea out of this mess. We, are, we already saw in the Talmud how he did not chastise the people for their wrong deeds. That's just the tip of the iceberg where we're going to see that Sitkiao wasn't the assertive type. He wasn't what you'd call a leader of men. And we'll see in our next year, his complicated love and hate relationship with the prophet Yermiao. We'll see a vacillating king who's probably in over his head. And we'll, and we'll also examine in depth more the shvua, the oath that King Sitkiao made to Nebuchadnezzar. And it was breaking that oath that he wouldn't rebel against him, which brought upon the wrath of the king of Babylon. We'll get into that as well.